On Christmas Eve 1914, the guns fell silent on the Western Front. The sound of carol singing began to ring out from the German trenches and soon the Allies replied in kind, singing their own carols back across the void of no man's land. As the singing grew louder, a few brave souls dared to put their heads above the trenches and slowly men from both sides gingerly made their way through the barbed wire and mud towards each other. On the magical night when the guns fell silent, gifts were exchanged, games were played, and for the first time in years the men had something approaching a Merry Christmas. And now, over a hundred years later, I make my way over a very different battlefield, accompanied by Rory. Hello Rory! Hello! And as we walk towards the enemy trenches on the eve of Christmas 2018, walking towards us his service revolver nowhere in sight, it's Alan Little from the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. Alan, welcome. Hello, good to be here. Um, it's uh, it's not really a war, uh, I don't think. As such, um, I think our listeners just, just to like to pit us against each other in the uh, yes. in, in the Apple Podcast reviews, which isn't particularly helpful. No, I think you're. I think you're absolutely absolutely right. I was going to say the clan wars have been postponed for uh, for Christmas. Yes. Which is, uh, yeah. But no. I think it's more. It's more like I think Twitter's our our rugby field, and now we're relaxing in the clubhouse. Exactly. Yeah. We'll yeah. we'll we'll have a vote for Dick of the Day later on. Um, <laughs> Alan, it's your first time on the podcast, so we have to ask you: What club socks would you wear if you were selected for the Barbarians? I'm going to. I'm going to cheat slightly and pick. Three, three. So, uh, where, where, are you, where, are you the, where are you putting the third sock, or do we not need to know? <laughs> you don't want to know. Um, <laughs> so, I went to school, obviously at Stuart's Marvel, um, and then I probably best described as kind of ad hocly played a few games for the FPs sort of post schools. So that would be my first sock. Played for a few years at the University of St Andrews, so that would be my second sock. And then my third, my third sock would be for the Cavaliers, which is a charity team that was set up back in 2012, post uh, the death of a good friend of mine, Steve Sims. So uh, I'm wearing three socks, um, and yeah, Very good, good. good, good to be on the board. Good, yeah, good to have you. So where do the Cavalier? What kind of games do the Cavaliers play? Is it just do you, do you go to things like sevens and, and stuff like that, or just set up the odd touring match? Yeah, so it was set up in sort of 2012, sort of originally um, went into quite a few sort of sevens tournaments, played sort of in the Edinburgh 10s, play every year in the uh, sort of St Andrews sevens, so sort of the Marbells, um, and it's sort of been sort of passed down to some of the people that are still at St Andrews, and still have sort of a yearly Christmas game, so actually that's on this year on the 27th at the Orium, so it's sort of Cavaliers versus Stuart's Melville charity game. Very good, very good. Um, how, how, how do people find out about that? Uh, so I think there is a Facebook event being created, although I don't see really go on Facebook very much, so I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. Um, and sadly, I won't be playing because I'm severely out of shape. So I will just be a avid spectator. Yeah, that's probably a good call. Um, we'll we'll do our getting in touch bit now. Um, do you? Uh, you don't normally do this on your podcast. Do you have uh, ways of people getting in touch with you? No, not me personally. <laughs> not not you personally. Um, How do people reach the Thistle podcast? And I should know this off the top of my head, and Dave will absolutely kill me for not knowing this. Um, at Thistle Rugby Pod, I'm going to go with that. And uh, we do have a burgeoning sort of Instagram presence, but I don't know what that is. <laughs> right, just I think if you search Thistle Thistle Rugby Pod, it will probably come up. Um, yeah. Yeah, if, if people want to get in touch with it, well, you can listen to both podcasts. I'll do Dave's bit for him on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast and all good uh, good other podcast apps. You can check out our blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk for the latest news, views and match reports. And if you want to get with, in touch with us on Twitter, we are at scottrugbyblog or at Black, and we're on Facebook and Instagram, but I never know the names of our accounts either. Um, and you can email us podcast scottishrugby, at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk Um that is it. I'm going to fade this music out. Um, there was a bit of Christmas music in the background there. Um, right. Um, we'll do a bit of a, a Euro review to start with, guys. Um, it's it's a bit like Star Wars Episode Nine with, with Alan here. We're going to try and bring some balance to the force, given that uh, we both podcasts get accused of bias. Um, and like uh, Episode Nine, we're bound to divide opinion. Um, so to avoid any suggestions of bias, we'll, we'll discuss things chronologically. And start with Glasgow's win over Leon. Um, 
Alan, a lot of people have said Glasgow should have gone for the bonus point win. What's what's your view on that? Were they, were they right to sort of keep things tight in the conditions? Um, yeah, look, I I think on a dry pitch, you, Glasgow are getting a bonus point um, in sort of nine out of ten games there. But I think, you know, they, they got out to that early lead. And I just think with the way the weather turned even more severely, it was just a case of getting through that last 50, 60 minutes. And I don't think sort of take anything away from Leon. I think in patches in that game, they really I, I thought they were gonna sort of just lay down and wave the white flag. And they did a little bit with putting out a sort of a slightly second team, but they they actually put in a pretty good shift and I thought actually Glasgow did pretty well to sort of repel them at quite at a few moments during that game. Yeah, uh, yeah, Rory, I mean I think um technically Cardiff Blues could still qualify of Glasgow lose both games with no losing bonus point and Cardiff win with winning bonuses, but that seems unlikely. Um, how how important do you think it is for Glasgow to go and get a win at Saracens to try and get a home quarterfinal, given how Glasgow have struggled in Europe? Yeah, I think it's it's almost it's almost that the home quarterfinal is going to be secondary to to just actually getting putting in a performance away from home against a team like Saracens because we've seen it quite a lot where Glasgow. Um, you know they 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 do okay in in some games, and then they come up against they come up against the big teams who outmuscle them, and uh, and sort of they, they look a bit kind of ineffectual. Um, we certainly saw that against Saracens last time that you know last time they got them in the quarterfinals of Europe. Um, so I mean, yeah, it, it would be good because we've seen Glasgow have a bit more edge to them this season. The pack is is sort of doing doing what Dave Rennie wanted them to do, um, and I think yeah. It's. I mean, you can't. I'm not sure. I can see them get, getting a getting a win down in Saracens, but I think if they did that, you know, the whole of European rugby would probably sit up and take notice. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, what, what there's news this week uh, from Glasgow or, or a rumor uh, that Nico Matawala might be off to Scarlets. Now that seems to be based largely on the fact that his wife is Welsh. Um, but right. I mean, is that is that much of a loss? Do you think, Rory, for for Glasgow at this stage, or do you, do you think there's 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 enough? sort of youngsters coming through I don't know I mean we've seen uh, we've seen a lot of good good news from the uh, from the fictional pen this week signing up uh, you know George Horn Stafford McDowell um, Tommy Seymour signed a new contract as well um, you know they're they're certainly they're doing their bit to, to kind of keep the I think Ollie Kebble was uh, one of the other ones who's who signed a deal so I mean he, he Dave Rennie's getting a bit of continuity with those those young guys who he's bringing through um, signing up for you know for full full pro contracts and, and whatever, um, five five more five more coming up. Five more coming up, yeah. So I mean, Nico, it, Nico's one of these guys who's invaluable to the team when the internationals are 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 away because he can provide that spark that they usually, you know, he's in terms of spark, he's probably worth two or three internationals um, if he if he's on his you know if he's on his A game, and we've seen that when the, the amount of tries he's been scoring in the last few weeks. Um, with with DTH, if they've got Tommy Seymour for another year, I, I mean, it kind of depends if if Robbie Nairn can, you know, guys like him can, or Rory Hughes maybe gets fit. But I mean, none of those, you know, those guys could could be good players, but none of them are going to give you that that sort of um, that kind of X factor that that Nico has. Um, so he, you know, he he would definitely would definitely be a loss. I mean, I don't think they need him a scrum half cover anymore, but just in terms of, but he they don't have any other players like him. Yeah, I mean, Andy, would you agree? Are you a fan of Nico Matawala? No, I am. I think there's a uniqueness to Matawala mm. that is kind of in, irreplaceable. Um, and I think you're right in terms of, it seems like he's pretty much out this sort of Fiji setup. So during those sort of international periods, he's pretty invaluable and maybe you know, slightly less important. But in terms of just crowd enjoyment and getting people to Scotston, he is the player, he is one of the few players that people come to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's right. I think the um, I, I I think he seems to be doing a lot more in terms of with with he certainly seems to be doing a lot more. We've said in previous weeks on the park. Um, he seems to be in the ear of George Horn quite a lot. So I don't know if he's been doing bits of coaching. Although I think as John quite rightly said, you don't necessarily want Nick Matawalo giving you on field tips as a scrum half either. Um, but yeah, it'd be, yeah. I think it could be not a lot to of terms of influence. No, certainly not. <laughs> he's calming down if anything. Um, the other sort of thing that came out of the Glasgow game, a bit worrying sort of on a wider point with Scotland, is George Turner going off with 
Uh, I think is it concussion and ankle injury, Rory? Did you you were chasing an update on this? Did you get any? I was further? having a look. I haven't I haven't uh, haven't heard anything anything further. So um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I didn't actually see the see that that Glasgow game, so I couldn't um, couldn't tell you how serious it was. But uh, yeah, it would be a it would be a bit, it's a bit of a blow for for Scotland. We, you know, we've got the news Fraser Brown's out for eight ten weeks, so that takes him out through midway through the Six Nations. Um, so from having two two top class interchangeable hookers, we've now got Stuart McAnally kind of wrap him in cotton wool, which is not going to happen um, with the eighteen seventy two Cup coming up. And then where do we uh, where do we go after that? I've been uh, working on the um, you know a hypothetical World Cup squad, and I've made the foolish decision to pick it. Um, according to who's fit and available, and based on sort of autumn form, uh, <laughs> and so the, the three hookers I've had to take are um, are McAnally, Ross Ford, and Scott Lawson. <laughs> <laughs> you calling him up from retirement S- in uh... sneak, sneak preview? Sneak preview? Sneak preview? Oh, he's, he's retired. He's retired, retired isn't he, he? Yeah, he's coaching us oh, in Andrews. I'm he's, gonna have to go back and edit been, that. He's been playing number eight for Melrose a couple of times. <laughs> You're gonna have oh, to. Um, I think we're probably. You're probably looking at Dave Cherry. Are you? Yeah, I mean, uh, Grant Stewart's been impressive for me, but I mean, he has only like a handful of uh, handful of appearances, and certainly he hasn't been near there. Did he? Did he not get called up to train with the Scotland squad in the summer or something? Uh, possibly. Am I making that up? Probably making that up. Um, the, I mean, the third hooker, um, of course, in 2015 was Kevin Bryce. Yeah, he, he's what a prop now. Yes. Yeah, it shows okay. what can happen in such a short time. Um, you do have um, Jake Kerr, who was on the yeah, bench for the that, Tigers for the weekend. That's not a bad shout, actually. Thank you for just saving that article, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it could be. I think I've been um, half-jokingly um, in support of this, but it could be serious. This could be Ross Ford's big chance for his fourth World Cup. Yeah could be the dream the dream finish to his career i, I was trying to look today because he's not I, I i can't find any information to say that ross ford is injured which would suspect that he's now third choice hooker at edinburgh yeah he wasn't uh he, i i checked this actually as part of the thing because i didn't want to pick I, I didn't want to try and pick anyone that was injured and then someone would say oh you can't take him he's injured why have you left such and such out and uh, he wasn't on the injury list which edinburgh finally started putting out an injury list with their team sheets um uh, yeah, Forty wasn't wasn't on there, so yeah, you mu- he must be just not getting picked. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, what what what's your take on on Big Ross Ford, Alan? Do you think um, we we had a bit of a, a discussion earlier in the season um, where I put forward the ridiculous suggestion that Ross Ford's career was hampered by a succession of poor Scotland coaches and was uh, roundly ridiculed and, and shot down for that? Um, do you think he's still got another World Cup in him? I think. I would prefer if he didn't, but <laughs> with you know with Fraser Brown, George Turner, and McAnally not so much anymore. All three have been relatively injury prone, so I think the likelihood is that Ross Ford will be in and about that squad in some capacity. I kind of thought at the start of the season when he first came back and he was sort of coming off the bench, he looked um, he looked okay, but sort of over the, as the games have sort of progressed, he seems sort of regress back to sort of two his uh his sort of form two or three years ago which i'm sort of not the biggest fan of i have to admit yeah he had that little sort of mini resurgence when gregor townsend first took over as scotland coach but then got injured but then yeah so the, the, it seems to have sort of lapsed back into um his classic just sort of like running for a big lad not making many yards at all and um being fairly haphazard at the line out um while, while we're on ember players and um, ember's win at the weekend then um we've we've spoken in the last couple of podcasts and um Alan, it'd be good to get your take on this um about the ember backline because there was a couple of people in the comments on the blog and on uh, the scottish rugby forum suggesting that that ember maybe lack a bit of experience in the backline and maybe that's all that's holding them back at the minute it it definitely feels like between sort of 10 12 and 13 there is there's there's a lack of a leader, and I think it kind of felt when Van der Voort was coming off the bench, he was sort of bringing a kind of bit, bit more sort of dynamism to the to the Edinburgh team. But now he's started, he seems to sort of reverted back to sort of playing quite deep. I feel like him, Dean, and sort of Jimmy 
are so also just playing very laterally. And yeah, it kind of feels like I don't know they not not one of them is really sort of taking that backline by the scruff of the neck. And I guess whilst obviously Pergos does have that experience, while he's at nine, it's quite hard for him to have that big an influence on um, on the backline. I guess they've been quite unlucky though because you've had Matt Scott and Mark Bennett out injured, which you've that's your, yeah. your, your first choice centre pairing, presumably. And I think Suchino's been pretty big failure in terms of what people thought he would bring to that backline. Yeah, I mean, what do, you, what do you think that is? Do you think that's just down to um, him not fitting in with the way that Ember play? Uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm not really sure because, you know, he sort of came off the back of a relatively successful spell at Newcastle who you would probably say don't play a completely dissimilar style to Edinburgh. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm not really too sure, to be honest. I think Matt Scott is probably the key to that back lane because I think he gives you a bit more of a direct direct sort of running option. Uh, but he also does have like, pretty good distribution skills. So I think sort of the quicker they can get him fit and back into that back lane, I think he'll have a pretty big impact. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of praise, Rory, for Darcy Graham. You'd um, sort of put him on the fringes of your uh, backs uh, for the cur- your cur- sort of the, as it is. Yeah. If you were to sort of select a, a back uh, World Cup squad today, you, you had him on the fringes. I mean... Um, I think someone said he kept Sonotti Sonotti uh, fairly quiet. I mean, do, do you do you see him sort of pushing for a World Cup place, or is that is it it's a bit too soon for him? Well, I mean, he's uh, you know he was he was in the he's in the autumn squad and he got the full the full call up. Um, I don't see why he can't. It, you know, the back the back three kind of picks itself at the moment. It's it's three out of um, Seymour, Kinghorn, Maitland, and Hogg at the moment, but. You, you still need you needed some cover um, in case of injury in a World Cup squad. Um, one of them might you know Seymour could his form could nosedive again. Um, hopefully it won't, but uh, we've seen that happen. So um, I think I you know Byron McGuigan, Lee Jones, Rory Hughes, none of those. I mean Damian Hoyland, none of those guys have really um, really sort of set set the world on fire. I mean, McGuigan's been all right, but if you look at most of the tries he scored, they've been, um, they've sort of been a, a little bit kind of op- opportunistic and fair enough he's taken them, but um, which is what wingers are, wingers are supposed to do, I suppose. But I, I, I really like the way that um, Darcy Graham sort of goes looking for work and he's one of these guys that maybe a bit like Hamish Watson who sort of plays as if he's slightly bigger than he is. Yeah. Um, do you agree? Are you a fan of Darcy Graham, Alan? Oh, absolutely a massive fan. I I really, I wish Darcy Graham had Van der Merwe's body because <laughs> Darcy Graham in Van der Merwe's body would be sort of probably top three winger in the world. I think you're right. I think one of the amazing things about, about Darcy Graham is for being such a small guy, he doesn't seem to get particularly bullied in contact, which slightly sort of defies the laws of physics. Um but no, I, I think he's very much a, a bolter for the World Cup. And I think you're right in terms of people like McWiggin, even Lee Jones, Hoyland. At the moment, I would place Darcy Graham probably above all those three. The only thing that might go against him is someone like Brian McWiggin who can kind of cover both wing and fullback. Yeah. And maybe centre at push as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of Embra's pool, then I mean it's a bit a lot tighter than Glasgow's. I think Embra on fifteen, Montpellier eleven now, and then Falcons on eight, and, and Toulon on six. Um, so it's uh, I mean obviously Embra got the win, and that that's that's good. But two fairly difficult games now: one away to Toulon and one at home to Montpellier. Do you do you think Embra Allen need to rely on results elsewhere, or or do you see them qualifying? Um. I can see them qualifying second, definitely, at least, in the group. I I feel like, I, don't know, I know they've had a pretty horrific away form up until this game, but I generally think that Toulon will now wave the white flag and they're obviously going through all their own issues. And I can see them going away to Toulon and getting the win. I'm just a bit worried that Montpellier seem to be kind of getting back into their groove a little bit and might come to Murrayfield needing a win to win that group. And I think, if I'm sort of a betting man, I would potentially go for Montpellier in that game. 
Um, but I do see them getting one win out of those two, I think. Yeah. I mean, Rory, would you agree with that? Do you think is, is Arembrook sort of quarterfinal bound at this stage? Yeah, I mean, it's as Arne says, it's, it's a tricky one. The French sides can sometimes just be kind of obstinate at home even if they've got nothing to play for because it's because they're at home and they don't like, you know, to, to lose that face. But at the same time, Edinburgh, I think Edinburgh probably have got a pretty good chance. Um, it's, it's two, it's two very tough, two very tough games. You'd say, yes, they're in control of the pool. They're sitting at the top, but actually, um, you know, they're playing two really big clubs, but we saw what they did, you know, did before going away and getting the win in France. So it's not, it's not out of the realms of possibility. Yeah. Um, I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, and you know, if anyone can put them in the right mindset to to, to kind of pull a couple of un- unexpected results or just grind out some results, because let's face it, it doesn't really. I, I'm, I can't see them getting five try bonuses against either of them. So it's it's just going for the win, isn't it? Really, and you know, Cockers is the man to get them into that frame of mind to just win at all costs, really. Yeah, I mean, probably worth the word on John Hardy, I guess, after the the weekend. I mean, he seems to be back in to his best, really. Maybe I think a couple of people said maybe maybe a little off the pace, fitness wise. I mean, do you, I suppose a question for you, Alan. Do you think that Scotland can afford the luxury of taking three specialist open sides to the World Cup if you've got Hardy, Barkley, and Watson all fit? Well, I guess with Barkley, you can play him at six probably not eight anymore we think i i guess the issue with hardy i sometimes feel is you probably either start him or he's not in your squad Mm. because he's not like the great thing about having potentially someone like a ryan wilson or even someone like a harley for example is they have that versatility to play in so many positions where it, it does feel like hardy can only really play but in that sort of specialist kind of open side flanker role I, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Is in that first 40 minutes, uh, I think him and Hamish Watson. That was probably the most interesting part of the game was their kind of matchup. And he, you know, he did. He got his turnovers. He makes his tackles like he always does. He puts his head in places that most people wouldn't. And it was just that kind of last 20, 30 minutes where his fitness seemed to sort of tail off slightly. Um, I'm a big fan. I, I still think that he is of a high enough quality to be in that sort of World Cup squad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would, I mean, I, I would agree. He, uh, yeah, he did, he did drift, drift off the pace a bit. I mean, he was actually, he kept popping up on the wing as well. Every time Newcastle were attacking, it's like, I want to play with the Fijians. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, uh, he did, uh, I thought, I thought he did, he did well. Um, certainly in the, certainly in the first half. I thought Luke Hamilton did pretty well as well. He put, he was, uh, you know, he was chasing yeah. down, chasing down everything. Um, that he could so yeah there's a couple of guys a couple of guys that are sort of bubbling under in that back row selection um i actually thought yeah. gary graham got a little bit out of class by both hardy on his own side and obviously the the scottish back line scottish yeah. uh, back row um and actually was a little bit anonymous for quite a lot of that game actually yeah he got on early he got on quite early for an injury um, yeah and uh yeah he didn't he didn't do anything anything amazing um that, that I that I could see. Um, I did see him getting involved in, he you know, bringing a bit of niggle to the game, which I suppose if, that, if that's what you're looking for, uh, we are constantly talking about how we need a bit more sort of aggression from the back row and a bit more kind of, um, Ryan Wilson, but but better at ball carrying. I don't know if if Gary Graham necessarily answered that question. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I I it's 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 a funny one because I don't necessarily. From what I've seen of him, I don't necessarily think he fits in with the the blueprint of what Townsend's trying to do. He sort of he sort of strikes me more as the sort of the kind of back row we were playing when we didn't play with any open sides at all. Which isn't to say they yeah. were necessarily bad players. They just they, you know they weren't necessarily they, they they carried well and they were abrasive, but they didn't necessarily um, you know compete at the breakdown and they weren't necessarily that athletic. Um, Reminds me of Strokosh a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think back to Hardy. I think I my favourite backline we ever played was was um, Hardy, Watson, and Barkley all on the same backline. I think due to injuries it only lasted about two games, but when it when it when it worked, it worked very very well. Because I think 
think it, I, that game against Australia that might that might have been the starting back row. I might be wrong on that. Happy for people to send me letters on that to tell me I'm wrong, but um, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it started. For someone went off. Um, okay, I think we're done with Europe. Let's 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 look ahead to the 1872 uh, Cup. Um, we aren't doing a podcast between now and the 8th of January um, because of Christmas. Um, you, Alan, you youngsters, I think you're you're probably putting out a couple of podcasts. Um, I think what possibly in the early hours of Sunday after after a night out, from what I can gather. Um, yeah. <laughs> in terms of the two legs then, I mean, how, how do you see it going? Do you think it's going to be straight down the line, Embra for the win at Murrayfield and Glasgow the win at Scotston, or, or is there a bit more to it? Um. I don't know. I, I still feel whichever team kind of imprints their style of play on the game will win. And I guess what I mean by that is if it ends up in an arm wrestle, I think Edinburgh will win. Because I just think, whilst obviously you, the Glasgow pack appears to have sort of taken a step forward this year, it still feels like that Edinburgh pack is just like a little bit of a step ahead especially just kind of a, what, with Pergos at nine, they could really grind down that Glasgow team. So I think I could see it going both ways. And I actually think this is probably the first year where it's you. I go, I'm going into this game not really knowing who I think is going to win. I know Edinburgh won last year, but I went into that still thinking that Glasgow were by far the favourites to take that match. Yeah, it's almost different this year because I think, um, like I said, in, in um, maybe last year, Edinburgh had a bit of form about them, but um, especially in the Pro 14, but they've struggled a bit away from home this year. But the, I mean, uh, Rory, the, the 1872 is a very dif- different beast and it's often hard to sort of take account of Pro 14 or Pro 12 as it was back in the day uh, form in, in these games because it, it means a bit more. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh... Yeah, it's all. I mean, Cockerell has been saying in the week you throw the form book out, out of the window, and it does seem to be. Um, although Glasgow have won most of the 1872 cups over the, you know, over the kind of over the piece, they have even they've got a higher winning rate, uh, I think. But Edinburgh do tend to win, um, you know, tend to 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 put one over on them occasionally, especially at home. Um, I mean, Edinburgh really need to almost forget about the the kind of the local rivalries, the derby stuff, and they really can't afford a home loss uh, in the in the league. Um, and so, you know, they'll know that the Glasgow players are coming here. They'll pretty much all be familiar with with playing at BT Murrayfield. Um, you know, the Warriors are be are be targeting it, it as a a plausible away win. You know, that that game that's not going to feel too much like an away fixture. They'll probably bring in decent support, um, you know, and the players all have all played, you know, or most of them have played there before. Um, and they've also got, you know, they've got two, uh, the two home legs as well, um, you know, because it's played across the three games now. So uh, I think Glasgow will definitely be looking looking to do the looking to do the clean sweep. They'll probably back their form going into the fixture, but um, as Alan says, it's going to come down to who can dictate their style. I mean, we've. I'm trying to think. We haven't really ever seen Glasgow since probably the, the Tooney days. Even then, we've never really seen them manage to rip Edinburgh open in the way that they sometimes do to other teams. Um, so I guess that shows how much the Edinburgh guys don't, you know, they, how much they switch on for the for those games. The weather, I suppose, could be a factor as well. Um, Glasgow are obviously going to want to to throw it about. Um, but they managed to they managed to grind out the win against Leon in what looked like pretty awful conditions. So you know maybe the, maybe the maybe the Glasgow like don't mind you know don't mind playing in in crap weather either. It's interesting that isn't it about about the the familiarity because I remember when I was this probably this speaks of the caliber and the level at which I played when uh, when I did play rugby. Um, I was always the, the the player that that was sent to play for the other side when they were short on numbers. Um, it just shows that in what high regard my teammates tell me. And, um, no, it just means you're the most sociable, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah, they will send you the friendly one. Um, yeah, but I, I, but I always enjoyed doing that because I think there's it's nice playing against that from that someone familiar. And and mm. I wonder how much that plays into it. It almost sort of like a psychological thing of it's you know it's just toggy. Do you know what I mean? Like as opposed to whereas if you were a, say an Italian side or an, or or an Ireland 
side and you're like, oh, that's Stuart Hogg I'm playing against rather than that's Hoggy yeah. who I'm uh, who I meet up with in, in the Scotland camp. So whether or not that, that sort of aura around some of the players on both sides maybe is, is, is gone a little bit, Alan, that maybe sort of makes things a bit more evenly than they would be otherwise. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I think for the players, it is a massive, massive game because it is essentially a sort of a Scotland edition, um, especially for players maybe like your Blair Kinghorns or um, which I think he was even someone like a, a Darcy Ray, for example, who are trying to sort of prove against potentially their opposite man that they're um, that they should be in that squad or in that sort of starting position. Um, so I almost sometimes feel like the game is a bigger rivalry for the players than potentially the fans. I don't know if that's if that's a fair comment. I don't. I I still don't fully buy into that kind of Edinburgh versus Glasgow kind of narrative. Um, so it'd be. But I think Edinburgh need it a lot more. You know, I guess the, f- the fifth in the group and Treviso have two games against Zebra over the next um, <laughs> over the next two weeks and also playing Connacht. So if they come out of these two games with two losses, they're going to be in a pretty terrible position to even make not only the playoffs, but, you know, potentially sort of the Champions Cup next year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting one, isn't it? The um... Uh, like you said, the the, the Glasgow Ember rivalry. It's it. I suppose it's because to a certain extent, if you compare it with other sports, professionalism and, and professional rugby clubs are still very new. So when they talk about the Ember Glasgow rivalry, it's not Ember and Glasgow as we know it now. It's the old yeah. districts. So I don't. I think it's we're still probably at least another decade away from the fans having a proper rivalry. I mean that you know we get the you're all biased against one or the other. Um, sort of chat, but I think that proper actual an invest, I guess, an investment in it from a wider audience, other than the people that go to the matches or, or or watch on the telly every week, which isn't everybody that that watches Scotland at a weekend. Yeah. Um. um yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I was just going to say, there's actually um, looking at if you look at the the front row, um, the front row battles, um, especially considering how much. Alan Dell seemed to get targeted by South Africa for um, for a stick. I mean, you've got Alan Dell, you've got Skuman, you've got WP Nell, you've got Ollie Kibble, possibly even Petrus Duplessis. So I mean, there's a pretty a built-on flavour to the uh, to the prop matchups, and you know that could get fiery for reasons that have got nothing to do with Scotland or Edinburgh, or Glasgow. <laughs> just old sort of South African rivalries coming to the fore. Yeah. Um... We um we, we'll park the eighteen seventy two there for the moment. Um, you we will have full coverage on the blog um over the uh over the winter period, the Christmas period rather. Um, we are doing. I think we're we're going to try and attempt to do. Are we doing two match reports per game, Rory? Is that the plan? Or there was some talk think, of 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 having sort of some mad crazy. Um, yeah, there was there was talk of trying to trying to write two two match reports. No do half half and half match reports or something but i think i think what we'll do is we'll have one neutral ish match report and then we're going to get the uh the glasgow correspondence to to do the player ratings for edinburgh and vice versa oh that could are be you gonna, are you going to keep the new racing system yes the one of them <laughs> one of them <laughs> one of them yeah we, we're still refining that um what what we're going to do now is um, because it's that time of year, it's the Christmas, so it's awards season. So what uh, we're going to do is we're going to give out our own awards for 2018. Um, so I've asked um, Rory and Alan to come prepared. I'll I'll start you off both. I've got the uh, 2018 award for the Dan Parks Unappreciated Genius in His Own Time Award for Peter Horn. Um, probably more less deserved than uh, Dan Parks actually because I think Peter Horn actually um is 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 much more consistent. Um I have to report sadly though on the rugby pass um ratings he's now no longer the best inside center in the world he's now down to fourth. Oh, right. fourth. Uh, but Mirror. that's cuz that's cuz they've now moved him to being an outside center. All oh, right, okay. Not cuz he's he was on the bench at the weekend. Not, no 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 they've just for some reason they've switched him to outside center so he's now the fourth best outside center in the world which is pretty good going given that he's uh he's not an outside center. Yeah, that's uh, it's competitive. <laughs> yeah, um, Alan, have you got what? What awards do you want to hand out? I, I've got the um, the the Bre- the Brexit Award for excessive polarization, <laughs> okay. which goes which Ryan Wilson came in at a close second 
but Pete Horn is winning another award for being the most polarising player in Scottish rugby in 2018. Essentially, people either think he's amazing or people think he might be the he's not good enough for the Premiership. I think I think that those those the naysayers are coming round. I feel yeah. there's yeah. a swell of there's a swell of Pete Horn love coming round the corner. I feel I slightly, slightly, I was going to say slightly more for Pete Horn maybe than Ryan Wilson. I feel at the moment. Yeah, I, yeah I, on on Ryan Wilson, the, my um, twenty eighteen award for riding his luck uh, is Ryan Wilson. Um, just purely, it's not because of anything he's done. It's more just um, the way Richie played in the autumn when you've got Bradbury to come back, and also you've got Matt Ferguson and Matt Smith coming through at Glasgow. So I think. Ryan Wilson is slowly slipping down the pecking order um, and I think he's going to find it increasingly hard to push his way into either Glasgow or Scotland so it's going to be quite interesting to see what happens at Glasgow in terms of the captaincy next year Yeah I think you're right I think if Ash A keeps form and B keeps fit just Mm. because that's the big thing with Ash is he just always gets injured then it feels like as you said, Ryan Wilson does slip down that pecking order because Gibbons and Ferguson and Ash are all just playing too well not to start in that back row. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We're, we're really out of interest because you've got your forwards article coming out soon on the World Cup squad. Did, yeah. did, did Wilson make it? Um, I think he will. Um, yeah, it the, the, should be up. I think it's either tomorrow or the day after, but uh, I have it in front of me here. Um, Wilson, yes, he did. Yeah. He did make the the selection, but I'll tell you for why. Um, because I realised when looking back to see who was injured from Edinburgh that Jamie Ritchie's injured, so I couldn't take him. Ah, okay. Um, so yeah, I, I've taken Wilson, but I did also I sort of compiled a hopes and dreams version at the end of if everyone's fit, this is what I think the World Cup squad could be, and uh, Wilson wasn't in that one. Mm, so interesting, interesting times. Um, Rory, what's your next award? Uh, my first award is the Dominic Rab Award for Geography. And that goes that goes to uh, to Bill Mata for thinking that he was signing to a club somewhere near London <laughs> and then en- ending up in Edinburgh. Um, I mean, you could you could tell you could tell his, he was a bit shell shocked that first season because he uh, I mean his, his stats were impressive, but he didn't he certainly hadn't played as well as he has this season. Um, so I'm glad he's I'm glad he's kicked on. I suspect that pretty soon he'll probably win the the Uncle Big Nax Award for services to scooping a massive wad of dosh and going off to France. Yeah, how long is he? He's not got. Has he got another season on his contract? I think it was quite a short short deal. I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not like Fiji's huge, so it's not like he's sort of taking an American slant on it in in terms of you know, yeah. London just and Paris next. Yeah, just down the road from each other. Um, yeah. It was an odd one. Um, Alan, what's your next award? I don't have any sort of snazzy name to uh, to compare it, but um, I guess best first impression award, well, potentially going to sort of Pierre Schumann. He seems to have become pretty much a fan favourite within about sort of three or four months. And um, yeah, it's, you know, obviously A, because he's pretty unbelievable player, but B, seems to be pretty happy to sort of engage with the fans both sort of in person and sort of over social media yeah I've, i i think that's really good to see i mean he's quite it's it's he's ended up with two nicknames already which is always a good sign it's, we've got pierre pierre shubidu and the greatest schumann um <laughs> have both seemed to emerge but i think we, we had somebody write into us to say that um when the, when he got that um was it, it was a yellow card upgraded to a red. I can never remember. The one for the yeah. forearm smash. Um, and somebody had sort of commiserated with him in the car park after after one of the games and he'd, he'd recreated the entire event <laughs> explaining yeah. what his thoughts were on it. So <laughs> you don't get that that often. Um, I've My next one, I've gone for the 2019 World Cup Dark Horse Award and we've already touched on it, is Ross Ford. Just because I've, yeah. I've got this romantic idea of Ross Ford making his fourth World Cup. And I think he's pro- he's going to score the match-winning try in the final, just because I think that could be our cool runnings. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, if resurrect John Candy and get him to play John Rossford. Yeah, or Scott Johnson. Oh yeah, <laughs> very true, very true. Um, we'll probably be, we'll, we'll more on that later, but uh, yeah, he'll probably be um, 
managing Australia by that point. Um, any have either of you got any more awards you want to give out this year? Um, yeah, I mean, I would. My award for most improved player would be Adam Hastings. I think he's come on leaps and bounds, and it's good to see. But uh, my main award is the Scottish Rugby Blog blog Scottish Rugby Blog Award for bias, <laughs> and uh, that goes to uh, DIYer, Jungle Legend, and Red Underpant wearing Nick Knowles for. Basically accusing, possibly while while drunk, I'm not sure, he was accusing Nigel Owens of cheating during the Calcutta Cup win earlier in the year um, by suggesting that Owens was trying to, to avenge the defeat of Wales, presumably by somehow psychically making Scotland play superior rugby. <laughs> so anyway, well well done, Nick. Yep. Um, uh, his his go his album is now available in shops, I believe. Um, yeah. Very seen it very earnest. Um, have you got any more, Alan? Or are you are those your awards for this year? That's uh, that's me checked out. Although I think um, I would add George Horn in that most improved mm-hmm. player because he didn't see. I don't think he really sort of got into the Glasgow squad till about sort of Christmas time or maybe sort of November internationals last year. So I think to have gone from there to potentially being second choice for Scotland behind yeah. Laylaw. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think him and Hastings. Have just been uh, just unreal trajectory over the over the whole year. Yeah, I mean, I I had a, a sub question for you. That I, haven't, I haven't prepared for either of you. Which is, if you were, if you were, Alan, if, I'll start with you. If you were, you had to sit on Santa's knee, and you could a- ask for anything for Scottish rugby in 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 2019. Now you can't ask to win games, and you can't ask to win tournaments, but you could ask for anything. What what would you ask for for Scottish rugby? So we we actually asked the same question on a. On the pot, on the thistle pod last week, and I actually said, if for Carl Ferns to find out he had a Scottish grandmother and to <laughs> come and play number eight for Scotland, um, so yeah, I think in, that, the, in the absence of Carl Ferns, and it's a decent number eight. Yes, I think uh, I think that's that's sort of the sort of the prize, and it's not so much just some sort of you know big massive ball carrier but it's some real kind of abrasive character that gets over the game line and I still I know of with Barkley is a very good leader but he's more of a I don't know especially in attack he, he you know he's not someone who's leading the charge I guess and maybe it's a little bit um antiquated but I think it's probably there's someone of that that kind of ilk that I just feel could turn that Scotland team from a sort of fifth or, you know fifth or sixth in the world to really sort of challenging for the sort of top three places yeah I think it's it's a shame I think that we didn't and we've said before that we didn't see Blade Thompson during the um yeah during the autumn I mean you almost feel like at this point that the hype is so much um with um with Blade Thompson, that, that he's almost going to run out onto the pitch of Murrayfield at some point with Tina Turner's "I Need a Hero" from Short Circuit Two playing behind him, <laughs> just almost coming to Scotland's rescue. Um, Rory, you're you're sitting on your turn on Santa's lap. Um, what what are you asking for for Scottish rugby? Uh, well, it's uh, I don't know. It's tricky because I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to to wish for beating Ireland in Yokohama. No, nope. uh, and I'm not allowed to wish for you know world cup results or six nations it's it's a bit like um the what the prime directive in star trek you can't interfere in you know events yeah in in events um and i'm not allowed and alan's already already wished us up a a new number eight which is certainly the the main problem i think so i don't i don't i don't really know i mean we're actually what do i want i want us to not are you allowed to, to to wish for not losing games against? We're not really probably going to have too many games against uh, sort of tier tier two teams next next year. Yeah, um, but I would like us I would like us collectively not to lose to Italy, Georgia twice, or any of the teams in our World Cup group, other than maybe Ireland or Japan. Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you that. I think you've you've circumvented my rules that I just pulled yeah, out of the top just, of my head. I, yeah, I'd like um. I'd like us to put in the performances that we should against the lesser teams as well as against the. We seem it's the sort of the teams that we that might beat us, but we should beat like Fiji. We seem to do all right, but the teams who should have no chance of beating us, we lose to. 
I'd like just to stop doing that, please. So put in a perform. That's fine. You've asked to put in a performance rather than a win. I think that's Alalawish. Um, yeah. We, we'll do. We've we've had a couple of um, festive where's Dougie Donnelly's this week. Okay. Um, which is uh, Alan? This is where we ask people to send us in sightings of players and pundits. Um, Ian Wallace and Sandy Smith both saw George Graham at Kingston Park on Saturday. Uh, he was apparently wearing a Christmas jumper. Uh, it was navy, uh, patterned with Christmas trees, hollies, and snowflakes. Uh, very unshowy, so that's uh, quite on brand, I think, for George. Um, in other Christmas jumper news, Martin Clark got in touch to say he saw Hugh Dan McLennan at Scottstoun in a Christmas jumper, having a pre-match chat with the team. Apparently that was a red jumper with Rudolph on the front and a pom-pom nose, again, uh, very on brand. Um, we'll do hands in the ruck then. We'll, we'll, before we get on to uh, mine, Allen and Rory's, um, Aid Herbison on Twitter said, his hands in the ruck is the BBC showing the Pro 14 as one league instead of two conferences. They sent me a screenshot of that. Um, and someone else got in touch, and apologies, I can't find the tweet uh, now, um, to say that their hands in the ruck is the fact that you can already buy tickets um, for the Six Nations on resale sites. Um, do you either... Uh, Alan, do you want to have a guess? How much, two tickets um, to sit to, for the price for one ticket? Are you getting two tickets to sit together? How much are you paying per ticket through a resale site, do you think, for for the Italy game? Given it's not the sold Italy out. game? Yeah, for the Italy game. If it's more than a hundred quid, you're getting raw blind. Ninety-six pounds per ticket, and that's to sit in up in the gods oh in the far corner where I paid fifty pound for my Calcutta Cup ticket. That's absolutely insane. Yep. Uh, for for Ireland in the same section, you'll pay two hundred and thirty-six pounds per Ooh. ticket, and for Wales, two hundred and six pounds. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's for a crazy Irishman who like to come over and watch the horse racing in a game of rugby. Yeah, you, it's interesting. You can actually still get two seats together at the Italy game for £92 for, for both tickets, whereas it's 96 for one on the resale site, which is, it's, it's just, I don't, under, I've never met anybody who uses a resale site. No, I mean, I, yeah. Most most people these days try not to use them on principle, but I guess if you're if you're desperate, somebody, some or and or, you know, more money than sense, somebody's going to use them. Yeah. Otherwise they would have, you know. I only once looked on a secondary site, and that was with about five minutes to go in the Scotland Australia quarter final in 2015, where I was looking to see how much semi final tickets cost. <laughs> so it was you that jinxed it. Yeah, I was ready to like hit the button to go, um, but yes, sadly did not make the purchase. <laughs> Thankfully, so. Um, Rory, um, we'll do your hands in the ruck first because you've you've told me what this is about, and I was we were going to discuss it earlier, but I've moved it to this so to accommodate you. What what's your hands in the ruck for twenty eighteen? Okay, my hands in the ruck for twenty eighteen is that we don't really know what Scott Johnson's legacy is because of all the secrecy about what he did. Um, <laughs> so this is obviously the outgoing director of rugby, who's who's uh, off to Australia, which. Puts him just a short flight, flight away from Hobbiton, and um, he's uh, yeah, he's he's been here since what 2013. He's been uh, backs coach, head coach, 20, and yeah, then, 2013, yeah, then direct director of rugby. Um, and what, during his time in as a director of rugby, everyone thought, well, he was kind of hopeless as a coach. So why have they seemingly promoted him? Um, and it's that's certainly what it seemed like as a, as a promotion, but nobody really knows. You know, as soon as he as soon as he left that head coach's role, it's almost like we we'd never heard from him again. Um, he would you would see him in the background of of shots and stuff. He would appear, and you know, standing in the back of the tunnel or um, watching watching the team warm up at the sevens or something. And um, yeah, I mean, it could be that uh, you know all his hard work he saved the seven squads or he almost killed it. Nobody really knows. Might be he sorted out the academies, or put great, greater focus on the women's game, um, you know. Or in fact, all those things were probably going to happen anyway. Um, there was somebody I think on on Twitter or the blog, it might have been uh, Stu, who had said that uh, actually, you know, the the women's game is there, there's more funding available for promoting sport for women. So actually, the SRU probably would have got there eventually anyway. The academies had already been started by the time he came in. Um, I mean. The main kind of crux of the the argument that he has left the legacy seems to be his you know his network of contacts has led to things like the the Stade Niçoise deal, 
um, the fact that he was able to coax um, a much a vastly improved kind of quality of coach in for the pro teams and you know in, in the shape of um, I guess guys like Jason O'Halloran, um, Vern Cotter, Dave Rennie, Richard Cockrell. Um, you know that I guess is probably probably the big the big sort of plus on his on his balance sheet. He might he might have done the same with a few sort of project players. Um, but yeah, nobody nobody really knows. Um, Andy Nichols summed it up quite nicely. It says that people who have worked with him seem to seem to rate him very highly, but everyone else doesn't, and that's most likely because we just don't know what he, what he was up to and if it was worth the money. Um, given how much they love non-disclosure agreements up at Murrayfield, <laughs> um, it's unlikely. It's un- we're unlikely to find out, and at least until he writes, you know, a memoir full of amusing big metaphors. Yeah, I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that's, like you said, the, the only thing that seems to come out of it all is that he's got a big file of facts. And I imagine that Scott Johnson still does carry a file of facts because he strikes me as the sort of man that would. Um, but even then, with, with some of the contract negotiations, because he's in charge of player retention and um, and contracts, and there's a lot of contract negotiation stuff since he... I was looking back, since he took over as director of rugby... There seems to be an increased number of contract negotiations that have been done in public. So the Oli Kebble one at the last minute, he almost went to Munster and the Hugh Jones thing about him possibly going to Leicester. Mm. And there's been a couple of others and you just wonder, is that is that agents and players getting frustrated? So all of a sudden, you know, the agent makes a couple of calls and... You know, all of a sudden Leicester are interested and that can be backed up for a journalist to then report the story and all of a sudden the SRU come back with a better better offer. And you wonder, well, if, if somebody was better at negotiating or wasn't as a, an abrasive a character as Scott Johnson, that that sort of stuff wouldn't be played out in public as much. Is he, is he abrasive or is he just really laid back? I don't know. I don't, well, I was looking back, there was the, um, he always, when he was in charge of Scotland, he always seemed to be, you watch some of his press conferences and he's a bit Trumpish, I think is the word. He he strikes me as, he's got the potential, he's got a bit of the Eddie Joneses about him, I think. Yeah, I seem to remember him being very good at not really answering questions, if he didn't like the question. Yeah, and I think I, that's, I, I do wonder about that side of it whether or not he just he does rub people up the wrong way a little bit um alan you were you were um i think you guys were discussing this on your podcast this week um you what, what do you think he's been judged too harshly because there's a lot of people he, he's divided opinion there's he, it's he's easy to find someone who thinks he's done good for scottish rugby as it is to find someone who thinks he's sort of the the worst thing ever to happen yeah it's tough because i I, mean, I don't think many people in scotland were the biggest fan of him when he was coach and you know clearly the SOU have made a very active decision to not put put Scott Johnson kind of at the forefront of any activity they ever do um and so yes it's so it's a hard one to say you said it's like kind of correlation versus causation if you if you put it down on a piece of paper and said this is all this is kind of the national team the pro team the academies the women's and the sevens in 2014 then you compared it to 2018 and that's kind of all the stuff that's in his remit essentially you would say shit he's done a really really good job but because of his kind of i don't know lack of engagement with kind of the scottish rugby community in general, it's just no one really seems to know what he, what his actual influence on that sort of stuff was. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's it's a tough one. I I think you were absolutely right in saying that he's very much he was very much more in the kind of Eddie Jones mold than kind of the Joe Schmidt mold, I would say. And I think that initially sort of put everyone slightly slightly off him. And then I said some of the things that came out about the sevens, I think kind of went down really badly, especially with people that were kind of, I was going to say, maybe in, I think people saw how useful the sevens can and could be for that, for the for sort of player development. So I think that particular episode kind of th- threw people off quite significantly. Um, but I don't think we'll ever know. So. Yeah. 
not until they write his tell-all book. Um, the interesting thing now is whether or not, well, one, whether or not they, they appoint a, a director of rugby or, or or who that might be. I mean, um, obviously, at some point, Jake White is going to be linked with the role because Jake White is linked with every vacancy in rugby. Um, if, I mean, I was... This is a bit of a left field call, but I was sort of suggesting Stuart Lancaster might be a, a, a call because he, he he was in charge of elite development with England previously. He's in his last year of his contract with Leicester, uh, with Leinster. He, by all accounts, hates commuting, so he only lives in Carlisle, so it's not that far to to Embra. Um, have you guys got any 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 left field shouts? I mean, Steve Hansen, maybe would we wait for him? Would well, you want it? <laughs> He could come a bit of a busman's holiday. He could come over, you know, enjoy Scotland a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, what about um, what about what's his name, Sean Wayne, the rugby league chap that they've that they've um, that Scott Johnson's final facts recruited into the uh, who's going to be some sort of consultancy thing in the organisation? Um, is he just is he just putting his successor in place before he legs it? Yeah, that's a good that's a good show. Alan, have you got any apart any any any? Uh... Any suggestions for for who who the SIU should be recruiting? I was just sort of trying to think it through. It's such a strange sort of role because you'll end up. Do you have Gregor Townsend, Dave Rennie, Cockrell, Sean Lenine all reporting into you? Yeah, effectively. I mean, that's yeah, technically. I mean, you. It's as far as I can, we can tell from. I mean, it sort of came out in the press release. I think in the end, the actual remit. So it's obviously development of the game. At all levels, player recruitment and retention, and then yeah, you're technically the line manager for Townsend, Rennie, and Cockrell, and all the and and but yeah, and Lenin as well. It's a pretty tough man management sort of position to to be in. I don't, I guess I it, I I it seems like a particularly strange role, but then I guess I see the slight need for it because obviously they're not going to report into someone like Dodson or potentially. Someone like you know Nathan Bomfries at Glasgow. I don't know whether you end up having some sort of more kind of part-timey role, and you end up having someone like McGeekin or Andy Irvin who just sort of comes in and almost kind of I don't know acts as a kind of rugby kind of performance rugby chairman, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, I could see that if if they'd got Super Six over the line. But you almost, it's going to need somebody in, because presumably that if he's in charge of development at all levels of the game, although that's Mark, seems to be Mark Dodson's baby, that he's going to need somebody in there to oversee that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's that it was an, there was an interesting quote from Richard Cockrell um, that came out that I think was, it, it came over as a little bit of a backhanded compliment. I'm going to have to try and find it now, um, which he said, um, it was on the BBC, hang on, where is it? He said, uh, when things need changing, you're always going to upset someone, and Scott's done a fantastic job of that. <laughs> Which I don't think it's, you could read that sentence a couple of ways, can you? You could, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's an it's an interesting one. I mean, I I think it's Michael Checker. I feel most sorry for. Um, I was thinking, about, it's a bit like his partner's been threatening to leave him for ages, and finally sat him down and told him he can stay, but he'll have to sleep on the couch because Tim, the fat, ugly bloke from accounts, is moving in, and he'll be sleeping in the marital bed. But they'll try to keep the noise down. <laughs> um, I guess can we just find out who's got the same role at Ireland, and just take them? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah I don't. I don't know if Ireland work that way. That'd be interesting. If anybody's got, yeah, if anybody knows who who's in director of, I'm going to, I'll, I'll Google that. Alan, who, who, what, what's your hands? While I Google director of rugby Ireland, and um, what, what's your hands in the ruck? So mine's actually was Scott Johnson as well. So um, I will very quickly change it and just say, a the sort of kind of failure of Myerside and the sort of continued use of Murrayfields and just waiting for hopefully mini Murrayfield to be a complete success because I don't know, obviously think like Marseille didn't work out as well as people were sort of hoping and whilst it kind of seems like attendance is picking up a little bit at Edinburgh but it's it's still a pretty terrible fan experience um, so yeah, I think improving the fan experience at Edinburgh Rugby is, uh, is my hands in the rock 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's not had an easy uh, road, that. There was a, an article, I think, out this week to say that the council had somehow managed to mess up the planning application as well because they hadn't... Um, they, they'd lost, I think, a, um, lost an objection from Murrayfield Ice Rink, which meant it would have gone to a full committee. So it's it's a shame that it's sort of coming in under a cloud because I don't I think if you're trying to sell something to a community and, like you said, increase the fan base, it doesn't necessarily... It's not a great look if the sort of, the sort of planning approval sort of coming in under a cloud as well. Yeah. And I still don't know what's going on with Edinburgh Ackies ground which was always kind of secretly everyone said that was going to be the future Edinburgh Rugby Stadium but appears to have been in development for about 10 years so um yeah it'd be I just think they need to you know I, I generally do think Scotsman has just been so important for Glasgow and I do think that a lot of teams potentially see Scotsman as pretty in, intimidating venue um, and I think Edinburgh need to kind of kind of get that for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this when I was at Murrayfield for the Fiji game, and it's a bit that I could see, like as a stadium, the 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 idea of it, it looks very much like Scotland is close to the pitch, so there's a potential to create a really good atmosphere. But the but the actual journey to the stadium on a quiet day, like cause I was at Murrayfield before, sort of all the fans were in, and it it's quiet, and it'd be a bit. I think it's. It might have a bit of an odd feeling sort of walking around one large stadium to then get into the small stadium. I don't know if that sort of is going to help or hinder it. Like you said, I think as opposed to it's a shame the Maya side thing didn't work out because that could have been... It would have separated, I think, Ember from, from Murrayfield and I think that would have, certainly yeah. from a Glasgow point of view, might have helped to um, sort of take away any allegations of bias. Yeah. Um, I've just looked up his head. I'm, I, can't, I don't know. David Nukafora is the head of. He's called. He's the performance director. Is yeah. the closest thing they've uh, got. Name rings a bell. Yeah. Um, he's a former uh, a Wallaby hooker, um, and yeah. they've also then got a director of rugby development uh, who's Scott Walker. But I don't think that's that's the Scott Walker. Um, <laughs> Moonlighting as a as a as a director of rugby development. Um my hands in the rook um is uh I should know this off the top of my head. it's a TMO. Um just for the past year. I think we're probably reaching a tipping point. Um and for all the talk of the TMO's role being limited, I think if things carry on the way they're going, we're not far from having coaches' challenges. I think that's as much as I think probably world rugby and there might be even broadcasters would see that as an exciting thing, I think it would be terrible for the game because it would just slow things up massively. And I think there are some coaches, so maybe Michael Checker, Eddie Jones, who would see that as a good thing and would use it a lot and would push for it, but I think it would slow the game too much and that would probably benefit certain teams more than others. I would say it needs to be limit, completely limited. We just scale it back and it's the TMO is only used if the referee asks for it. And other than that, he just uses his touch judges. Mm. I mean, if you, if they did have coaches' challenges, it would be limited to one and a half or something. You would you would think? Or oh yeah, you would. Be. I mean, it would be limited in the same way as they do that. But it, you know, they've got them in tennis now, haven't they? Yeah, they have them in NFL, I think too. Yeah, Will they throw. Do they throw a flag on the pitch? Yeah, yeah, they've got their own, which would be fun. Yeah, that's what I worry about. Giving Cockers a little flag with a weight in it. See I mean, he's a hooker. He could probably do some damage with one of those. True. If he aimed it well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it it's it's a tricky thing because when they interfere and they slow the game down and they're just struggling to make a blindingly obvious decision, it's quite annoying. But at the same time, if stuff kept getting missed and, you know, tier two teams or, let's face it, Scotland, were getting screwed out of decisions by the officials, we'd be saying, bring back the TMO, because if that had gone to the TMO, we would have got that try, or that guy would have been sent off, or, you know. Yeah, but we still get we still get that, though, I think. Uh, there's still the sort of thing that, you know, Pacific Islanders are, are penalised more than mm. other teams. So I don't, I don't think the TMO has solved that problem. And you've still got sighting commissioners who, should, who could sort of, like, you know, call. I know it's after the the game's gone, and you can never say what would have happened yeah, if someone had got problem, carded. But I don't know. It's nef- necessarily solved that problem of 
have sort of I think it's made it worse if anything the sort of this idea that Pacific Islanders and you know the tier two nations are somehow treated more harshly than others. Um, Alan, what's your take on this? Do you think there's, there's the the balance is right at the minute for the TMO? Um, it feels like it could definitely be a much smoother operation. It's um, I I know you, I know where you're coming from in terms of it feels like they sort of come in potentially a little bit too often. I I guess I don't with the sort of coaches with the idea of potentially having like a a coach being able to um or a team being able to sort of review potentially a decision during a game. Um, which obviously you can do in American football. It's, I guess, I don't really know how that would work. Whether it be like a player on the pitch saying it, or whether you'd have a like, challenge, maybe, yeah, yeah, or whether you'd have like one coach watching the screen, same as like a TMO to like try and pick stuff out. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, um, if you had it, it's just kind of tries and foul play, and that was the scope, and and also. And basically, for foul play, you potentially reviewed it when there was a natural stop in play rather than stopping the play. I, d- I don't know whether that would sort of help a little bit. Yeah, I think it was just it was like the red card at the weekend for the challenge on Adam Hastings. That just seemed to that discussion just went on for an absolute age. Where it was, you know, on first review that was a red card, and I don't know if it, I don't know if it's just a time thing, but they just seemed to talk back and forward about the the, the discussion. Sort of went like. Okay, so he's gone in and he's gone in initially with an elbow and then he's raised his arm and it's hit him in the face. Yes, he's gone in with an elbow and he's raised his arm and he's hit him in the face. So he's gone in with his elbow and he's raised his arm and hit him in his face. Yes, and that just went that same discussion just went on for seemed like five minutes, and they just kept repeating the same thing back to each other, and they could obviously hear each other. But I just I don't understand why the decision seemed to take so long. Yeah, I think that's that's the frustration is that it you've got the you've got the facility there and it's being used, but it, it's maybe not being used in the most efficient efficient manner i mean some referees are quite good at it um likes of you know wayne barnes or nigel owens will will sort of almost kind of um alert the tmo to something on the fly tell them to check it but let play go on and then at the next stoppage or whatever they'll go or if the tmo flags them up and says yes we've got something serious you know they'll 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 call it but yeah it's it's when when both the tmo and the officials seem indecisive or their you know their radios break down or whatever and they're um, and it's just wasting time because obviously if you're watching on TV, it's maybe all very well. You can see the replays and stuff. But if you're sit, sat in the ground and it's pouring with rain and it's cold, you probably just want to get on with the game. Um, you want to watch watch the, certainly from the players' point of view and the, and the fans. Yeah. Um, that's probably a good a point as any to leave it um, for this week. Um, we are going to be back on the 8th of January. Uh, don't forget we'll have a full coverage of the 1872 Cup on the blog and um, you can uh, the, the Thistle uh, guys are going to be broadcasting and putting up podcasts over that period. Um, we, um, we'll, we'll say thank you, Alan. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. We'll, we'll get you back on again. Um, what what should we do? Should we well, should we say fifty paces uh, and then resume hostilities? Sounds perfect. Good. Um, well, uh, thank you very much again, and it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Rory and Alan. Goodbye. Bye.